Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn or scroll to the book of 1 John. 1 John, you might recall that John has already written to us. He wrote what is usually the fourth gospel in your Bible. He gave us an account of the life and the ministry and the teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He closed his gospel by saying, I've written these things to you so that you would believe. And by believing, you would have life in his name. Now John is going to pick up the pen again. And he's going to describe in more detail what the life of God looks like in an individual. And flesh that out for us. In doing so, keep in mind, John loves to talk about contrast. He loves to paint a picture for you and create a contrast so you can see the truth more clearly. Last week, we looked at two very important extremes that people will often buy into. These extremes look like this. The first one is this. You say you're a child of the light, but you're walking in darkness. There's no evidence for the life of God in you. John, the apostle of love, says you're a liar, if that's the case. We're not talking about a weak Christian or a season of struggling or doubt or any of those things. We're saying if you claim to be in the light as he is in the light, but your life tells a completely different story with no evidence of said light. You're a liar. But now let's go to another extreme. Someone else may say, well, I have no sin. That's got to be one of the dumbest things anyone could ever say. I am without sin. First of all, how can you become a Christian and take Jesus as your Savior if you don't even acknowledge what is obvious to everyone around you? But certainly as a Christian, there's a misguided notion sometimes that now that we are a Christian, if we sin... That calls everything into question. So John draws a balance. He strikes the perfect balance. It's the beautiful word directed to believers. Little children, he says. What we looked at last week, chapter 2 in the beginning. He says, if anyone sins... What we saw last week is the Greek construct is this. If anyone does sin, and you will, you're not perfect yet. If anyone sins, here it is. We have an advocate. We have one who speaks on our behalf. Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have one who fully kept the law. We have one who is intrinsically thrice holy himself. 
We have one who is tempted in all points as we are and yet without sin. And he gave his life for you. And what it means to be a Christian is that your faith and your confidence and your trust is completely in who he is and what he has done for you. And he, the one who died for you, who is the propitiation, the satisfaction to God's just wrath on sin, is the very one who advocates for you. That is God's provision for us. It's a beautiful thing. We're different now. God lives in us. But we're still in this body of sin. We still fall short. But when we do, we have one who is face to face with the Father, who pleads the blood. And it's not as if, I say this with respect, it's not as if that's a surprise to God. But we can walk with confidence, confess and acknowledge our sins, and keep walking in the light. So let's look at our text today, which is 1 John chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse 3. You know that you know. John now introduces... A theme that will run throughout this entire letter. And that is Christian assurance. To know that you know. To know that you are indeed forgiven. To be assured of your right standing with God. To know that you know that you will spend eternity with him. This is such an important, such an important doctrine. It's so beautiful. It gives us such confidence. We will build on this doctrine as we go throughout the rest of this letter. Saints, Christian assurance is a hope that transforms even funerals and memorial services. We mourn. We mourn deeply. We feel the loss. It's not right. 
but we're not without hope. And our prayer is always that that hope will catch up to our mourning. There's a couple of verses I want to direct your attention to. They're not on the screen because I want you to see them in your own Bible. Turn to your left to 2 Timothy. Chapter 1. You might recall, Paul was high up in the Jewish religious establishment. He hated Jesus. He hated this message. He hated those who followed him. And he made it his intention in life to persecute, to to stand against them, to make their lives miserable. In fact, he was so caught up in his obsession that he gained permission to go to another country. So he could oppose Christians. Well, at least that's what he thought his plan would be. He met the very one that he was persecuting along the way. And he was told through his conversion that his life would be used in the most magnificent ways, but that he would suffer deeply for it. A surface level exposition of the book of Acts, second half, looks like this. Paul goes to this city. He gets beat up. Paul goes to another city. He gets beat up, thrown in jail. Paul goes to another city, preaches the gospel again. Gets beat up, left for dead. Nah, he's not dead yet. Still life in him. Gets up and he does it all over again. But listen to Paul's later words. Listen to his own testimony. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Well, I'll just pick it up in verse 11. Speaking of the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. So Paul's life became one of suffering when it was one of great privilege and comfort and notoriety. But I am not ashamed, for I know, I know, Whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, I am persuaded that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Yes, I suffer. It is not easy. But I know, and I know in my soul whom I have trusted. And I am persuaded and I am convinced that he is faithful and he is able to keep that which he has promised to me. And that is what fuels everything I do, Paul says. Confidence, assurance that we belong to him. It gives us such freedom and confidence In serving the Lord. As I said, we will more fully develop this concept of assurance as we walk through this letter. But here's what John says. 
You've believed in Jesus. Do you have doubts? Well, surely you're human. Do you question that? Particularly when tough times come, do you second guess that? Do you begin to obsess on your own performance? He gives us this wonderful aspect of assurance, and that's simply this. Look at your life. Look at what God has done and is doing in you. You will not perfectly follow Christ. None of us do. But look at the evidence, the fingerprints of God in your life. Now, here's another passage I want you to turn to. Jeremiah chapter 31. We've looked at this passage many times over the last number of months. This is a very crucial and critical passage in God's word. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. This is where there is an announcement regarding the new covenant, the new order, the new way that things will be when Christ will come. Jeremiah chapter 31. Look at the end of verse 34. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. We've tethered the beauty of the gospel in our lives to that statement. I will remember their sins no more. I will forgive this new covenant that gives us such confidence to understand when, when John says that God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us, what he is faithful to is his promise, particularly through Jeremiah. You're not on probation. You're saved. You're in. You're forgiven. But he also says, I will be just in forgiving your sins. Because of that word propitiation, Jesus fully satisfied God's righteous demands. And he is mine. And I'm in him. That's a beautiful statement, but I want you to see what's right before it. We're going to kind of develop this here. Verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Watch this. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. This is what John is driving at. The new birth. The life of God inside people. People who, remember what Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, this is exactly what John is speaking to because he uses that language too. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed and the new has come. Yes, mercy, forgiveness. You don't get what you deserve and you're, and you're given that which you certainly did not or could never earn. But it's more than that. God 
writes his righteousness on your heart. It means that you now love him, serve him, desire to walk in righteousness because of that work of grace in your life. You're not who you used to be. Only God can do that. When my wife Christine was saved, when she was born again, she did not grow up in a believing family. She's one of three sisters right in the middle. Something extraordinary happened to her older sister when she was a teen. She was born again. Religious family they were in, but not born again. Christine shared a room with her sister. And she noticed and was even a little annoyed at first with what she saw. Her sister was reading her Bible on her own time. And it wasn't as if she would occasionally read her Bible. It was this newfound hunger. You see, honestly, they did have Bibles in the house, but they were pretty dusty. They were unused. But something changed with her sister. She wanted it. And Christine's looking over, thinking, why are you why are you reading your Bible? There's no priest here. There's no one telling you to do this. You don't have to do this. It doesn't count for anything. No one even sees that you're doing it. Why are you reading your Bible? Oh, it got better. She had a little, I don't know what you call it, like nightlight on her on her bed, you know, on, on the on the headboard. So she could read it at night. After lights were out. And she's like, this is ridiculous. Oh, but she watched. And her sister's life was being transformed. That's the new birth. It doesn't look the exact same for everyone. But this idea that the life of God is in you is something that John is going to hit on over and over and over and over again. You might notice that John writes kind of cyclically. So he'll say something and he'll say, thank you. I get it. Oh, no, you don't. Because in the next chapter, he's going to say it again, but in a different way. You're going to see the same concepts being brought up over and over and over again. Still in Jeremiah chapter one, 31, verse 34. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. Why? Because they'll all know me. If you're in Christ, you know God. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. You see, a Christian is not someone who merely knows a bunch of facts or information or gives bare mental assent to some truths. 
This idea of knowing God, being a Christian with the life of God in you. It means that you are going to have new desires that you have not had before. Because they're not coming at you from the outside. They're coming from within. Now don't get me wrong. This does not mean that we perfectly execute. doesn't mean that we don't have seasons of laziness and disconnectedness and falling into temptation and so on and so forth. What John is writing at here is, first of all, to give assurance to us as we look and we see the hand of God in our lives. But then he's going to call us to walk in the light, in our daily conduct, in all of the details, in our priorities, in our decisions, in everything that we do. You see, if you're like me, If you grew up in a Christian family and you became a Christian when you were younger, as you get older, it can be a little intimidating because you hear these, these testimonies of other people. Some of them are very dramatic. Some of them are like the Apostle Paul, right? I was way on this side and then I'm on this side. And you hear those testimonies everywhere. I've heard them in Kazakhstan. Literal gang leaders who are now servants in the church, leaders in the church. One of them is a pastor. But that's not my story. I grew up with parents who loved the Lord. I grew up with parents who were diligent to keep me from being dumb things. It was somewhat effective. (laughs) But I don't have... The story that some people have. I don't have a dramatic conversion. I mean, how dramatic can it be when you're like five years old? I haven't robbed a bank yet. None of that has been true yet. And yes, by God's grace, I purposed as I was younger to walk with the Lord, to follow him. I certainly didn't get it right all the time. But here I am. So how can the Lord encourage me as I face storms, as you face storms in life, as you walk through your doubts, as you walk through the, those fiery darts of accusation from our adversary? John says, listen, one aspect of assurance, look at God's life in you. Look at where your desires are. Don't necessarily look for fantastic experiences or experiences that are just beyond. But do you see the hand of God in your life? Do you wrestle with temptation? Are you disturbed with the fact that you're not where you should be? Even if faint, do you seek to obey and please God? Are you here today because someone dragged you here or you want to be here?
So the core message that John is going to give, remember, he's assuming you've read his first bestseller, The Gospel According to John, in which he concluded by saying, I've written all these things that you might believe. And through believing, you might have life in his name. Now he's going to show you what that life looks like. What it means for God to take up residence in a regular person. Where our priorities are transformed. Where there is actual obedience from the heart that we can see. That brings assurance when you feel knocked off of your game. But as I said from the beginning, this letter, it has something for everyone. There's comfort for believers. But remember, John is reminding us that we are now children of light. As God is in the light. To be a Christian is not merely to believe some facts and to remain unchanged. This idea of fellowship is so rich. It is so extraordinary. It is so life-giving. It is so beautiful. You and I are not promised a carefree life. We are not promised a life without difficulty. We are not promised a life without opposition. We are not promised a life free of trials of various kinds. But we are promised, I will never leave you. I will never, no never, forsake you. Fellow saints, let's examine ourselves. Are we allowing practices, habits, things, thoughts, actions, attitudes in our life that diminish our fellowship with God? Now that we are children of light, We are duty-bound to walk as children of light. So that our testimony, our actions, our way of life, our attitudes, our priorities match our confession. Are we cultivating that fellowship? Are we hungry? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I can tell you from experience, when we get distracted, when we say yes to sin, it diminishes our fellowship with God. It's that simple. It diminishes our enjoyment of him. Our priorities get out of whack. Listen. We get more outraged by whatever political, uh, what's the word, outlet that you follow than we do with the truth of God. Let's not go there. 
Let's not be distracted by lesser things. Are we cultivating our walk with Christ through regular time with him to nourish our souls, to train our consciences in the truth of God, to allow the truth of God to change and transform us. Remember, Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You cannot white knuckle that. That is the work of the spirit through the word of God in our lives. Saints, put our life, our practices, our attitudes under the scrutiny of God's life. And here's why. Light. And here's why. He is so gracious. He is so gentle. He will work with you as you root out things that just don't belong in your life. What John has in mind here is not a robotic performance of Old Testament laws. He's talking about Christ's commands. How did Christ show us how to live? He puts it this way. We know we are in him as we should walk or live as Jesus did. Here's what assurance does for us. Here's when we cultivate and we develop the assurance that God gives. It brings deepening joy into our life. So I asked you the question. How's your joy quotient? I don't mean your happiness. Happiness often can be very dependent upon what's going on around you, your circumstances. But in all circumstances, are you joyful? Because your joy is derived from your union with Christ. Your joy is derived from the fact that God fully and completely, without reservation, accepts you. Your joy is derived from the fact that this life is but a vapor. I mean, seriously. Our lives are short. They're full of trouble. They're full of worries. But Paul said, Romans 8, 18, I can't even, I mean, the sufferings that we have now are not worthy to be compared of that which will be revealed in us. Assurance builds confidence. It banishes fear. Wouldn't that be nice for all of us To interact with one another, not from a place of fear or insecurity, but confidence and joy in the Lord. Assurance develops that eternal perspective when we refuse to live for lesser things. We refuse to live for the praise of men, but for the glory of God. Assurance builds that desire to be with God's people, to be in God's word, to be in the house of God, to be fellowshipping and worshiping and supporting and serving and encouraging and helping one another.
So saints, I commend this passage to you. We'll have much to say about this concept of of assurance. But I ask you this question for today. What are you allowing in your life that you know is diminishing your assurance and your vibrancy as a Christ follower? Let's be intentional about rooting those things out. And I'm not coming at a place of condemnation. I want each of us to walk in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. That we would be joyful in all circumstances. That we would find comfort in the gospel. That we would support and encourage one another as we seek to walk with the Lord. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I read, will not sing, this old hymn. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit and washed in his blood. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This, this is my story. This is what I'll talk about. This is what I'll think about. This is where I'll fix my mind and my thinking. This is how I will order my priorities. This is my song. Praising my Savior. All the day long. As we examine ourselves. As we. Consider our daily walk. Our lives. Our priorities. May the Lord graciously and gently. Show us those areas that we need to turn over to him. Or that we need to just stop. Or that we need to pursue. Remember Jesus said. According to John, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Do not settle for second best. It is indeed for freedom that Christ has set us free. The wonderful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Where is your hope? Where is your confidence? Where is your trust? If it is in yourself. In your own performance. Your own efforts. Your own religiosity. Your Sunday school attendance. Whatever it is. That's not going to help you. Jesus. Live the perfect life that you could never live. 
And he laid down his life for sinners. And Jesus, John tells us, said this. Whoever believes in me has passed from death to life. If you have never put your faith and your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Don't put that off. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for this remarkable letter that pulsates with life and hope and confidence. As one of your earliest disciples grew old, lived in isolation, banished to Patmos, now elderly, he writes with such concern and care for those who would follow him and believe in Jesus. My little children. Lord God, thank you for your life in us. Thank you for the hope that we cherish. Lord, it is so easy to drift, to be distracted, to join in the outrage of whatever is popular in the moment in culture. Lord, let us not be like that. Let us walk in the light as you are in the light. Let us walk full of joy and confidence, full of compassion, full of patience with one another. You surely have been patient with us. Let us be a true light. To those around us. To those with whom we work. Or live. Those in our neighborhood. Our places of interest. Oh Father I pray that you would faithfully root out those things. Which hold us back. May we not live for lesser things. May our minds and our, tra- and, our, and our thinking be transformed by your unchanging truth. Even in the midst of our difficulties, our challenges, our heartaches, let hope arise. Let joy grow and develop within us. We give you thanks and praise. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.